It is absolutely amazing to be with you all, and I, I love this church. I am a surrogate part of this church. Um, it, it's true. The, the Dunfermline Church plant was um, Hope Church trustees and Andy said, you know, we are happy to help you by administering the finance and acting as a legal covering for the church plant. And so all of that, you know, literally all happens through Hope Church. So um, I am very connected in that way and good friends with Andy. We went to India together um, on that missions trip and it was just a tremendous amount of fun. And yeah, he, he, Andy's been a great friend and support. I was living up in Orkney before this for nine years we were in Orkney. I have six children. And yeah, the oldest is 17, the youngest is eight. And they are, um, uh, they couldn't come with me today. The, the youngest five all play rugby. So our church service that we do now is on a Saturday night. So they, they, their rugby games are on a Sunday, which is just crazy. But um, yeah, it's, it's good fun. They all love it, even the little girls. So um, can we pray together? Father, we just want to crawl up in your lap today. It is the place of safety, and it is the place where we are most able to let go of whatever we need to let go of and to receive whatever we need to receive from you. Uh, and so I just want to pray, spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you come and just sweep across this room with a fresh revelation of your accessibility today. Lord, that you have done everything necessary to remove every hindrance, every separation, everything that you could find reproach in us, Lord. You, you took away on the cross. You hid it in Christ Jesus. You've given us this righteousness that is wholly ours now. And so we just want to say thank you and pray that you would just come and just allow this whole time to be an encounter with you. Would you sweep across this room and just let us have an encounter with you that at the end of this time, Lord, we would not be the same. We thank you that you're constantly taking us from strength to strength and from glory to glory. So we want to pray that that transaction would happen in a way that even exceeds our expectation, that whatever expectation is in this room combined, Lord, you would just heap tenfold of a result on top of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it great that one encounter with Jesus and you're never the same? Wow. So, um, yeah, my wife, Rachel, sends her apologies, as do my kids. Just share a little bit about me. I, I love to tell people, um, you know, especially in church settings, just casually drop into conversations that I used to be a drug smuggler. It's, it's great. It's great to see people's reactions. I was in church last night. I said it on a, on a Saturday, and, and we, I don't usually spring this on, on everybody, but last night I was in this conversation with this person. I said, well, when, were you, when did you get saved, I asked him. He said, oh, I've been saved all my life. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm wondering what his idea of, of saved is, uh, you know, or his relationship with Jesus. And I say, I, you know what, I used to think that as well. Uh, I used to think that 
um, you know, I used to say, oh, somebody would have said, are you a Christian? I would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, how do you know? Well, I, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. And one day I'll stand in the pearly gates and St. Peter will say, why should I let you in? And I'll say, because I believe in Jesus to take all my sins. And, and he'll say, oh, right answer. Bing, bing, bing. Tell him what he's won, Paul. You've won eternity with Jesus. You know, yay. You know. and, and this was my, my concept of it. But in terms of my practical outworkings, I, I said to the guy, I was a drug smuggler and a drug dealer. And, you know, it didn't have any impact on my life until one day, the, you know, I had this horrible, con, this horrible experience that, con, that was a demonic experience. And these people that I was trying trying so hard to please turned out to be like satanic worshipers and and my life was turned upside down and I said I said Jesus if you're real I need you to help me so much right now you're the only one that can help me and um and I said it was like the Jesus just showed up and revealed how close he was and how much he felt how how great he felt about me and and it was like he took my hand and led me out of that situation I canceled, people owed me money. One guy owed me five grand, I told the guy, and, and I canceled that debt. And, and I said, I don't want it because I knew I was playing for the wrong team. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted, you know, and I knew that there was nobody who could help me except for God. And he, he was there with his, with his girlfriend. And um, his girlfriend, it was their second time in church. And she looked shocked, right? She just had this expression like this, like, what is going on like this? And, um, you know, so I was trying to tone it down a little bit. And, um, and then I left. And, and he just sort of took it in stride. But he had this weird expression on his face. So later I get home. And my wife says, oh, do you know those people that were sitting behind you? I said, yeah. She said, I was talking to the pastor. And he said, oh, look, see that guy over there? He's a drug dealer. That poor, his poor girlfriend, she must have been sitting there going, oh no, God knows. (laughs) I thought she was shocked at the story, but she's just shocked because the the testimony itself was like so perfect for them. Apparently this guy's a drug dealer who has spiritual experiences and just rocks up to church every now and again because he wants more of God, but he doesn't know how to get out of this world. So, yeah, so in case there's any drug dealers here, I wanted to share that story. Repent, Jesus loves you. Oh, yeah. We've been in Scotland 15 years. Mary Lou actually taught our youngest two. Your youngest three? Did you have Johnny? Barely, okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we've, we've been around here for a while, but I am originally American. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit of a sort of a, a, raw, uh, a raw message with you. Is that okay? Yeah, are you guys okay if I'm a little real? Yeah, that's, I have a high value for authenticity. I think it's so important that the church is, is really crying out for authenticity that means the good bad and the ugly and when you are people of faith it is so difficult sometimes to find that balance between standing in faith and making healthy declarations of God's truth and also simultaneously giving people permission to be where you're at and I I just think it's a it's a tricky 
tension that we need to continue to navigate and continue to give people permission to be real. And I like to model that. And also, there is something in your victory that's for your neighbor and something in my victory that's for you. And I really believe that actually uh, the, the point of vulnerability is for victory. Not to pull one another into a place of despondency or to get people who can necessarily sit with you in your, sh- in, your, in your shame or in your sadness, but actually for victory. And it's okay to go there. So I'm going to share a little bit of that. And, and a lot of this is around this church plant. The church plant that we came to do is actually not happening right now. We've, we've, I say we pressed pause, but actually it's a little bit more than that. We, we, we moved to plant this church. We were pastoring a church in Orkney for nine years. The church more than doubled in size. Everything was going really, really well. We had a strong leadership team. There was a couple on our leadership team that we saw great potential in. We asked them if they would take over the church. They did, and the transition went well. And we moved down south with a heart to see the kingdom of God poured out in churches all across Scotland. Right, that, that churches would see revival. We wanted to plant a church, but we have such a heart for unity and for working with other churches and with other leaders. And we just believed that God was going to do something special. There was such a clear calling, and we were confident that this was going to happen. And we moved in October 2020 after the lockdown. Of course, there was going to be like four more lockdowns after that that we didn't know about. But, you know, there was that little break in October 2020. We saw our green light, so we moved. And then basically within six months, the whole thing went pear-shaped. Like our whole team fell apart. My oldest daughter, she just said, this school is horrible. My second youngest daughter got punched in the face by a boy. And her lip, it looked like someone had just taken a scalpel and just cut the whole colored bit. And my oldest daughter said, this place is like a zoo. I can't live here. And she wanted to go back to Orkney, and we didn't want to let her go back to Orkney. God ended up um, making a way for, for that to happen, and he's totally blessed her. But it was not an easy journey to walk. And, and, and like, I have such a heart for unity. And the, the situation of the church plant that we had, we joined a team of eight people. And basically within three days, we went from having everything, like not a problem in the world, everything going so smooth, to there being this misunderstanding that resulted in the group dissolving and sort of going their own ways. And I have such a heart for unity, and I'm like, how can that happen? Like, I've seen the ministry of reconciliation in my life with other leaders, like, flourishing, and yet here is this situation where I'm, like, trying to hold this thing together and, like, even feeling like I've done everything right. And it's like trying to hold water in your hand, and it all just goes... And these are great people. Like, they, they really are great people. So that was, that was pretty ouch. That was, that was pretty ouch. And especially as time went, we thought, oh, we'll just do it anyway. We'll just, we'll just keep going. And, and we tried. But no matter what, nothing felt right to sort of pursue. Like, we could we could go knock on doors, but that didn't feel quite right. We could go and stand in the street corner, and that couldn't that didn't feel quite right. And the people we had one other couple that stayed with us, and they had all kinds of crazy things breaking out in their life, so they couldn't really contribute. And what I realized is nothing felt right because I didn't want to do it alone. 
I never wanted to do it alone. Like my idea of church is you get around a bunch of people that you really love and you hang out together and you eat food together and you love God together and you form a community around the goodness of God and it becomes a beautiful place that people want to participate in. And that's really hard to do alone. And then I had a job, I got a job, but the job was in Glasgow, so I was commuting and it basically started a very wilderness season. Anybody been in a wilderness season? Anybody ever been in a wilderness season? Know what that's like? Very pleasant place to be. Yeah. I was left broken and confused. I was in a very strange situation of Well, let me say this. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I was in a strange situation of feeling God's, like, harsh. Uh, he's not harsh, but I was feeling this, like, this judgment on myself for not working hard enough to do this, right? And feeling like, I should have I worked harder. I didn't have peace to do these things, so actually I was right in doing what I was doing, but there's still this self-criticism that says, I should have worked harder. I could have done this. I could have done this. I could have done this. It was a horrible couple of years, right? I ended up getting myself tied in knots. I'm going to read this part. I was dying that my ministry seemed to have dried up. I was still doing some really fun opportunities, like I had been invited to speak at conferences and and some other things, but no matter what that stuff was, it didn't feel like enough. I was questioning my motives now because this had triggered such a fear of failure in my life that I was now feeling like anything I was going to do would just be to make myself feel a little bit more like a success. Does that make sense? So on the one side, you feel a failure for not doing anything. On the other side, anything you do, you're questioning whether or not you're doing it just to make yourself feel better about the failure. It is like being constricted by a boa constrictor that locks you in a place of indecision. Now, I don't know if any of you wrestle with this kind of thing. I suspect that you probably have some of this. Maybe you don't actually think about it this, this deeply. Maybe you, you have other sort of things that you wrestle with. But for me, I wanted to do anything to try to revive this ministry, but for the right reasons. And sometimes in the wilderness, God is actually doing this work of purifying your motivation. He's doing this work of showing you where your identity, where your identity problems are and where you've been leaning too heavily on what you were doing. And this work was, this, this is exactly what God was doing. So in this place, I felt guilty and I knew Satan was having a go at me, but I couldn't get out of this cycle. I was like, I just don't know what to do. And I talked to one of my leaders and said, look, she's a woman from Australia named Bev Merle. And I said, Bev, I'm just, I said, I'm really embarrassed sharing this, but I just got to be honest. Like I am, I'm feeling completely locked in a place of indecision. I do not know what to do. I'm feeling really like a failure. No matter any good thing that I've got or ever done, none of that stuff feels like it matters. I know that God loves me. I know his righteousness. I've had revelation on this stuff, but I'm still wrestling with all this. And she said, John, I want you to know I've been speaking with hundreds of leaders all over the world, and there are 
So many in the exact same situations. The stories are different, but the situation is the same. And she said, you have to know, right now your situation is a little unique because you're a leader without a portfolio. But leaders who have churches, leaders who are in successful situations, are wrestling with failure, and they're wrestling with identity, and they're wrestling with fear of giving up their position and their, and, and their uh, everything, all of these things that you're wrestling with, it's happening across the body of Christ. And you need to know that, that what you're experiencing is not unique. And, and that really helped me. It's like, okay, when God is doing something major across the world, when there's a shifting of epochs, a changing of the wineskin, anybody who's remotely prophetic is going to be experiencing something of that shift in their individual lives. All, all a corporate body is, is a collection of individuals. And anytime there is a shifting, and right now on this planet, there is a huge shifting within the body of Christ. A massive shaking is taking place. And it has to do with these heart motives of who you are and what do you trust in for your, for your, for your success? What do you trust in for your provision? Who are you really? You can rock up on a Sunday. You can have all the conversations. But who are you really in your core, in your heart? And he knows. And sometimes we don't. We don't know who we're, we are until we're going through these circumstances. We're going through these scenarios. And so I said, okay, Lord, I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. And I need it now. Lord, what can I do? And I started reading through my Psalms. You know, even reading my Bible and praying, it's like, you know, by just doing this to make myself feel better, it's like, oh, my head is a great place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live here. <laughs> Turn with me to Psalm 51, if you would. I read this psalm, and it's a great song if you're feeling condemned or guilty or anything like this. And, you know, and, and I shared this, I shared what happened here at a network conference. And when I went down to that network conference, I was still a little bit in this place. I had had this revelation, but when I shared this at this network conference, I stood on the stage and broke into a million pieces. And as I broke into a million pieces, Everybody in the audience broke into a million pieces without fail. Grown men standing there, absolutely broken. And, and, and I knew, and something broke off of me in that moment. And I'm believing right now that something is going to break off you as well. That some, something in this is going to break off you. You may not be wrestling with the same questions, but this is for anybody who's feeling tired or weary, or broken, or longing, like they've had something that they've been dreaming for that's just not happened. Whatever, whatever situation it is for you right now, I want, I want you to hear these verses. Remember, I had been asking God, God, what do I need to do? You know, do I need to go on like a 40-day a fast? I was like, yeah, I'll do that. 
I'll totally go on that. I'll do that. You know, sure you will. Anyway, and here's, here, I'm going to start from verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. He loves it when we can be honest with ourselves. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And let me just say, I am, I am Trinitarian in my approach. So I don't believe that God will take his Holy Spirit from you. And I know there's no place that we can go from his presence. But I really believe what the psalmist is describing is an, a feeling that we can all feel. And it's really vital that when we feel that way, we can, we can actually say, this is what I feel. And I know it's not right. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Like, oh, Lord, let, you know, it's that thing of let me remember the joy of the house of the Lord. Let me remember that feeling of that encounter that I had that one time when I couldn't stop laughing or when I just had that warm, fuzzy feeling. It's like, Lord, just give me that back. Give me that awareness. Let my mind be there. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. When I've got that, I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Okay, here we go. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. 40-day fast. You will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. Who already gave a sacrifice on our behalf? Come on. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Listen to this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise. When I read that verse, I thought, I've got that. I've got that. He said, you can bring all the bulls and the goats. Those don't bring me pleasure. I love that. Pleasure. Listen to the verse before that. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. These two verses are about what pleases God. And you know why I want to accomplish so much for God? Do you know what drives me more than anything? I want him to be pleased with me. Anybody else want that? The sad thing is, he's already pleased. He's already pleased. None of us could ever please him 
through our actions or our own self-righteousness. It's an attitude of the flesh that tries to get into that place where we say, I want to be enough for you. And the Father knew that. And he said, you'll never be able to climb that hill. I don't want you to have that burden on you. So I'm going to send my son, my own righteous right arm. And he's going to do it for you. And then I'm going to baptize you in him. In his death and in his resurrection, I'm going to bring you one with him. So that the same voice that thundered from heaven over Jesus when he came out of the waters of baptism and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased, is now the declaration of the Father over every single one of us. It cannot be diminished by your inactivity. It cannot be diminished by sin. It cannot be diminished by pride. All of these things, every right, wrong, every, it can't be added to by every right decision and it can't be taken away by any wrong decision. The full pleasure of the Godhead poured upon Jesus has been given to us. This is why this verse says, I don't desire the blood of bulls and goats. I don't delight in these things. But, but this broken and contrite heart thing, I had an image. I said, Lord, I have that. My heart is broken. My failures lie before me. And all my successes lies before me. None of it is good enough. And he's like, I never needed it to be. I never needed it to be good enough. I provided a sacrifice for you. You take that heart. And you lay it upon the altar. And I had this image of an altar before me. And every good thing that I had ever done done was being laid upon that altar. And every mistake that I had ever made was being laid upon that altar. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything that I was feeling, all my emotions, all of it, I was able to place upon the altar. And do you know what happened? The fire of God fell on that altar. And the the result was a a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Isn't it amazing that your greatest successes as well as your greatest failures are all fuel for the fire of God? No matter what you're going through right now, no matter how much you feel you have to give to Him, no matter how little you feel to give to Him, no matter how strong you feel, no matter what gifts you have or lack, Your heart is perfect, dry tinder for the fire of God. And he finds it pleasing and acceptable in his sight. How amazing is that? Like our hearts, like the fire of God right now. you may, not, you may not know it, but there's this beautiful partnering that we get to do. You know, Christ, he takes us into himself. And somehow, he's taken us into his death. And he's taken us into his resurrection. He's taken us into heaven with him. And somehow these things transcend time. And we have this beautiful ability to partner with him in any given moment in his sacrifice. And in his life. I think that's why Paul said, I die daily. He, he, he continues to say, do you know what? There's things in me that I still want to see dead. And every day I have the ability to yield these things in my union with God. And to participate with the Lamb of God. <laughs> in my oneness with him. 
I get to participate in the, in my, with the Lamb of God and just say, okay, Lord, just let your fire fall on me right now and consume the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can have it all. And, and really opening up and saying, yeah, that's there, God. I've got that there. I've got this fear here. And I, I don't want to gloss over it anymore. I want to open it up to you. And he delights in truth in the inward being. Whew. You guys okay? My notes are totally scrambled. I tried to do this like thing where I've got two columns, but I'm sure that they've ended up in the wrong spots. Oh dear. This massive shifting of epochs and the changing of um, wineskins is coming upon the Western church in, in something that I, I don't know that we've ever seen it before. The complete church landscape is being shifted and turned upside down. And the shaking is thorough. Systems and structures are crumbling. Styles and liturgy are all being overturned and shaken vigorously. And this is not God's harsh judgment on the church, as some would suppose. But it's actually a loving groom seeing his bride who needs a new dress. And he's providing a, a brand new garb, new clothing. It's a new wineskin. The old wineskin cannot contain the sweet wine that the Godhead is pouring out upon the earth. And there are pockets of the earth that, have, that are right now receiving that new wine. But it is for the whole bride. <clears throat> and it is good. This reformation is good. The church is still God's plan A. Leadership is still absolutely vital and crucial. Administration is still needed for this time. Godly systems are still essential. God is a God of order. And getting rid of the wineskin does not mean that there's not supposed to be any wineskin. We need the new wineskin. But this new wineskin, I believe, is going to be forged by authentic hearts that are comfortable with this idea that he's going to have to be enough. He's going to have to be our all in all. The body needs a strong skeletal system, not weak and brittle bones. So what does this look like for us and we're going to have some time of ministry because I do want uh, a chance for individuals to, to receive. But, but I, I want to just, I want to come back to this because I, I believe that this has an, an, an implication. Now, do you remember Peter? When Peter denied Jesus, he was probably wrestling with some of the stuff that I wrestle with. He was probably thinking, I denied Jesus and here he was, you know, crucifying, crucified and, you know, he put so much faith in me. And all the disciples were of little faith at that point. They were all wrestling with doubt. Isn't it great that even we could watch their story? 
develop and we can see some of these things in ourselves. I love that when, when Jesus meets up with Peter, he has this beautiful moment. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And what does he say? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me a second time? God, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. Seems like a funny conversation. Do you love me a third time? Oh, he's heartbroken now. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. He says again. And I just feel like, look, in these new wineskin, the Lord is calling us, yes, to go through some of this stuff, but ultimately, there is a priority on this season to partner with the good shepherd. Right? That, that same voice, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. This is over us. And I want to take you to Ezekiel 34. If you can go to Ezekiel 34. How are we doing for time? Five minutes. You're going to have to read much of this on your own. There are seven things in this passage. Now this reads as a, a condemnation of shepherds. But when I read it, I don't read it as a condemnation of shepherds. I read it as, um, like, this is a great list of what shepherds do, right? And I think that this is good. So he says, ah, shepherds of Israel, you you shouldn't have been feeding yourself. Should not shepherds, and then he lists some things here. Number one, feed the sheep. That's what we just talked about with Peter. Feed the sheep. Number two, Strengthen the weak. It says in verse 4, the weak you had not strengthened. Number 3, heal the sick. The sick you have not healed. Number 4, it says the injured you have not bound up. Bind up the injured. Number 5, bring back, bring back the strays. Number 6, seek the lost. Number 7, lead. Instead of with force and harshness, it's lead with gentleness and mercy. Okay, I'm going to, so you can go in and find all those, but let me read that list to you again, because this is what God is calling us to do. Feed the sheep, right? Strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the injured, bring back the strays, seek the lost, lead with gentleness and mercy. Feed the sheep, strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the injured, now, when it says bind up the injured, Isaiah 61.1, it talks about binding up the brokenhearted. Not only that, uh, also Psalm 147.3. So that whole idea of binding up, what's different between healing the sick and binding up the broken, is, is that binding up, I believe, is a brokenhearted. Now, here's the thing. The Lord loves the person next to you. And... And we have been under a pastoral model that has required the pastor to do all the caring for everybody. 
This is part of the old epoch, the professional minister. And one of the great things about Bethel Church, and I know this church, is we've helped people to understand that supernatural is for everybody. Everyone can prophesy. And some of the reviving of the gifts, everyone can pray for healing. That actually, if Jesus did it, you can do it. But the heart of this is, Jesus was the good shepherd. And he's looking for a people who who can both be broken, but reach out to the broken. And the people in this room need you. They need you. And and the word that that I really felt like the Lord was saying is, look, the Lord wants you to be healed, but he also wants you to feed the sheep. Every single one of you have a responsibility to call up your friend, to call up somebody that you don't know, to come to the gathering and say, hey, how are you doing? No, really. And to be vulnerable with one another. And and you can do this. Uh, There's a lot of young people in the group. You're not excluded from this. You have a calling on your life. All right, let's stand up. I would like to talk but I'm out of I'm out of um I'm out of practice preaching so I'm just not keeping my my time well can I just ask you if you feel like you right now if you feel like you've got something of your heart and can I ask the worship team to come back up and is that all right can you guys play that uh, what a beautiful name again I just want to ask you if you feel like you you have this thing of like, like I just need something to shift in my life this is how I was feeling. If you feel like, you know, there's something in my life, maybe it's just a, a gray feeling. Maybe it's something more sinister. But you feel like, you know what, I just, I'm just sick of that. You don't have to come up front. But if you want to come up front, I want to invite you to do that while the song's playing. You can just come up front and we'll, we'll get people to lay hands on you. If you want to say what it is, you can. If you don't, just say, I just need breakthrough. And we'll pray for breakthrough. But, it, but I also, if you don't feel like you want to come up front, I want you to write in your seat. Just imagine yourself laying your heart specifically every single issue that you're wrestling with whether it's sin or pride, whatever it is, just envision an altar right there before you. And just take that, just lay it upon the altar. Fire of God, come right now. Thank you, Lord, that that you got your unblemished sacrifice in Christ Jesus. And you have covered us by his mighty work. And here we are before you, Lord, treasured children with strengths and weaknesses and challenges. We've got successes and we've got failures. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you just come and highlight those hidden portions of our heart? Would you help us to just identify them, that we can lay them before you? And I pray right now for anybody who needs to come forward for breakthrough, you give them the courage to do that. And right now, I want to pray, Spirit of Freedom, come and and bring breakthrough right now. Freedom right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name right now. Fire of God, consume. Consume right now the guilt. 
Some of you have been wrestling with behaviors that you felt too guilty to actually talk about. Right now, just yield them to the Lord. He says, I, I have been with you every moment. Every moment, and I'll take that. I'll take that.